Hello, and welcome to this edition of Cherry Beckert's Not-For-Profit Podcast. This is the place where we talk about all variety of matters impacting not-for-profit organizations. This is your host, Matthew Saha speaking. I am the not-for-profit industry practice leader uh, for Cherry Beckert, and I am very happy to be joined by our guest today, Steve Usillo. Steve is the leader of Cherry Beckert's cybersecurity group. Steve, welcome to the podcast. It is great to have you with us. Thanks, Matt. Pleasure to be here. Great. Well, uh, you know the subject of today's uh, conversation is this BlackBaud ransomware that recently uh, made the news. Uh, it was a ransomware and data breach. And uh, Steve, as you know, BlackBaud is a market leader in not-for-profit fundraising and accounting software. So this breach appears to have had a pretty broad impact. In fact, a lot of our clients have, have reached out to us with questions, um, wanting some advice. Uh, pretty much anyone that does not-for-profit fundraising activity uh, might use this software. And we know that this cyber criminal out there uh, copied some of BlackBaud's customer data, including things that are a little bit concerning like donor names and addresses and their contact information and how much they've given to the organization. This according to uh, information that we've received from our clients. So, uh, you know, Steve, uh, a lot of information uh, here, but uh, I know that you've read BlackBaud's uh, response. When I read it, it sort of looks like they're on top of everything. They say, we have no reason to believe that any of the data went beyond the cyber criminal. Um, I'm just curious, when you read it, how do you interpret, you know, BlackBaud's response from a cybersecurity expert's point of view? Well, thanks, Matt. And it's certainly unfortunate, you know, to see these types of, um, you know, incidents and, and breaches that are happening out there. Unfortunately, it's become kind of the new norm. To, you know, uh, breach fatigue is certainly something we're all experiencing um, as it pertains to third parties having to report it and everything else that goes along with that response. Uh, ultimately, you know, I think the response was um, fairly well orchestrated. Most of the, uh, all the requirements that are typically needed uh, uh, legally as it pertains to breach notification uh, were covered through that response. And I think ultimately there, it comes down to the customers and the user organizations uh, to evaluate what that means for them. In other words, you know, what type of data did that provider have? What was involved? And based on the information that was provided, what response and obligations do they have to the actual data subjects or the people that they collect the data from, right? Uh, and typically that's something that's going to be orchestrated through, you know, identifying the appropriate team, having legal um, legal representation, and making sure that your incident response program clearly identifies an action program uh, for how you're going to respond to that. Each, each state regulatory body, uh, domestic and international group out there, um, as far, and, and contracts, contracts that you may have with these providers is going to uh, really uh, prescribe the breach notification timeline and what needs to be communicated. And ultimately that response uh, seemed to cover the measures that they needed to so that organizations can think about what impact that had on them. Yeah, and so BlackBaud, we know BlackBaud, obviously a big tech company, probably has a bunch of lawyers and, and folks jumping on top of this, I would assume. Um, if I'm at a small not-for-profit organization, um, and you know, I get notice of this of this breach that some of my data has been uh, uh, compromised or potentially compromised. Um, what's what's my first response? I I might not have in-house counsel and a site and, and a chief technology officer and uh, 
and so forth. So where do not-for-profit organizations begin to resi- respond you know, in the immediate and, uh, and also in the long term? Uh, where do they go from here? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that ultimately the, the answer is going to be predicated based on the cyber maturity of the, the group that it impacted. So um, organizations that have a bit more of a mature cyber incident response program hopefully have a little bit more of an advantage from a well-orchestrated uh, execution timeline, lessons learned, and what they need to do. Others that are a little bit more ad hoc may struggle you know, to, to do the right things in the time period that is prescribed, right? The breach notification requirements are, in some cases, you know, 72 hours. They're only giving you a couple of days to, to act and notify. So ultimately, it, it's important for the organization to think about not if, but when something like this happens and what's that going to mean knowing what you know where they're going to point to for legal representation do they have the insurance company information that they can notify and put them on notice for a claim uh what resources are going to be kind of given to them uh either through the insurance company with with references to legal and forensic folks or whether they have their own you know um consultants and other advisors that can help them through that is the coverage going to be adequate how do they prescribe the response to their customers if in fact their customers data was part of that service provider's breach. Those are all things that need to be considered. In many cases too, from a proactive perspective, these organizations need to be evaluating their, their third-party relationships. You know, supply chain and vendor management relationships are something that we see and organizations are trying to shift the risk associated with those third parties, but they need to understand the risk of doing that, the type of data, the controls that they have, and measure up, you know, how they can protect the data, but also how they would cooperate in the response of something happening like this to make sure they can action it appropriately. Oh, that's that's great, Steve, and, and certainly good advice. And you know, I know that you've helped uh, a lot of different types of organizations in many industries, but uh, you've worked in the not-for-profit industry before uh, with clients of, of di- all different sizes. And you know, I'm curious when you go into uh, kind of a consulting arrangement like that, and you're you're looking to help organizations really bring the maturity of those controls up. Uh, is there something that you see as sort of a most common deficiency, or is it a or is it a multitude of things uh, when you're working with not for profits? I'm sure you get this question uh, all the time. We do. We actually get this question not only just for not for profits, but other industries as well. Uh, certainly try to do as much as you can from a risk-based approach to focus your attention on what's going to give you kind of the, the overall best uh, residual risk mitigation. But ultimately, it comes down to your information security program. The more formalized it is, the more repeatable it's going to be, the more uh, it's going to be orchestrated and there's accountability there. Sometimes when things are ad hoc, people get busy and things fall through the cracks. So how often is that organization doing their risk assessments? How often are they doing their vulnerability assessments and their penetration testing? So in other words, are they consistently looking for these high risk components? Are they looking for new and emerging vulnerabilities? And do they have somebody trying to really do what the attackers are doing on a regular basis so that all the low hanging fruit is basically you know, out of reach for some of those adversaries? Those are important parts. Um, you know, there's other key components as far as making sure that systems are updated and, and protected. Uh, authentication and access control, multi-factor authentication, all of those things become, you know, key parts of controls for organizations to make sure that they're safeguarding data. Training and awareness becomes really important as well. Obviously, the attackers are going to go after the, the weakest link, which in many cases is the users. 
Um, so they, they're using that as an attack vector to get around some of the more sophisticated controls. And then, of course, not only just the prevention, but the detection response and recovery through your incident response program, your event logging, and really trying to determine in a, in a post-breach mentality world or an assumed breach mentality world, meaning it's not if, it's when attackers get on the network. How do yeah. we pick them up as soon as they get in there? And that's really what we're looking to achieve here. Yeah. So if I'm hearing you right, uh, there is no silver bullet. <laughs> there is no one one control in place. It really sounds like it's the, the culmination of a lot of little things that makes it sort of difficult for these cyber criminals uh, to get in and get annoyed before they just move on to the easier uh, guys, right? That's, I mean, think about an analogy of your house. You know, you're, you're locking doors, you're locking windows. If you leave a window open or a door open, that's an opportunity regardless of how good the other controls are. Or maybe you lock a door, but it's not latched properly. So you need to understand kind of where those threats and risks are and have somebody looking at that on a regular basis to try to mitigate. Steve, that's, that's great advice. I appreciate that analogy. Well, um, Thank you for your time today, Steve. Really appreciate your expertise and your your insight uh, on this subject matter. This isn't the first breach that's happened. I'm sure it will not be the last. And um, I'm sure uh, you would agree that any listeners of this podcast who are dealing with their own cybersecurity issues uh, should, of course, reach out to Steve, reach out to myself, and uh, we'll be happy to, to help you deal with it. Uh, so thanks for joining us, Steve. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, Matt. It was a pleasure. Thanks again. All right, so long. Um...